Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got my friend Andre here from the Sub2 community. Andre is a real estate investor. He is also working a full-time job, but he has invested in both Airbnbs, uh, affordable housing, and he's also getting into multifamily soon. So today, I'm really excited to bring Andre onto the show because he brings such a wealth of experience to us, and I'm so excited that he's on the show and to share his experience with all of the listeners here. Andre, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Thank you. Thank you, Kent. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited you invited me to be on. So, you know, before I share a little bit about, you know, my uh, story as it relates to investing, I would like to share like how I got here, what I went yeah. through, I guess, or, or, you know, that made me take a different step. Right. So I started, you know, I'm 32. I was 19 years old. Right. Needed a job living on my mom's couch. Right. And um, basically got my first job selling cell phones at the mall kiosk. Right. In Ontario Mall, California, if anyone knows where <laughs> that's at. Um, I started selling cell phones and, uh, you know, did OK. Uh, for doing that and, you know, moved my way up, became an assistant manager, blah, 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 you know, all of that. Now, I was making around 60 to 70,000 at my peak. And for some reason, working retail is not terrible, but for some reason in our head, it's implanted, make $100,000, make $100,000, make $100,000. That's like the number, some, some arbitrary, some arbitrary, you know, some just like random hundred, because it's a nice round number, right? And so my mentality was, how do I like get to 100K, right? I'm, I made 68,000, right? But yeah. I'm still living at my mom's, right? And, um, and I'm working retail. So this means I'm working every weekend. Um, I'm working every holiday except Thanksgiving Day and Christmas, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, and my, I'm the oldest of four. My little brother was uh, in high school playing basketball, and uh, he was playing it competitively. He ended up playing in college, but I couldn't see his games, right? Oh, I couldn't see his games, yeah. right, on the weekends, right? So, so um, I just said, I got to do something else. So I ended up trying to get into corporate sales. So mm -hmm. I tried to do corporate, and I couldn't get hired in California, right? And so I, get a, um, I find out that they're, the job that I wanted, they're doing open interviews in New York City, Right. Interesting. Right. So it's a Sunday night and I'm closing up the store. I book a red eye flight to interview Monday morning. Right. Because um, it's, it's for my company. It's for the company I was working in, but the corporate okay. division and Got in it. New York and in New York City, as opposed to L.A., I had interviewed maybe eight or nine times and just couldn't get the job here because a retail person working corporate sales, it just doesn't. It's a whole different skill set. Right. OK. Understood. Yeah. So I go to New York, I get the job, you know, it's, it's not what I intended it was going to be. I remember a year later, I made a hundred thousand dollars. I will still remember it was 102,386. I was just never forget it. And I remember looking at it and being like, I have $1,400 in my name, to my name, like, like <laughs> right now, like a hundred thousand dollars is really only 5,000 a month after taxes and, and, and fees and things like that, right? And I'm like, I'm sitting here paying my taxes and I have $1,400 in my account. I mean, again, I know the world's tough, but mm -hmm. I just thought $100,000 was somehow some astronomical amount, right? And then I realized I'm not after $100,000. I'm after, I think, more of a lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? So now this is a horror story that happened. So I'm, I'm working commission sales, right? My coworker, um, my work lowered our quotas for a whole quarter, right? So, hmm, yeah. Okay. So instead of, let's just say I'm supposed to bring in $50,000 a month in sales and at 100% to plan, you make $3,000 in commission, right? Sure. On Got top it. of whatever my salary was. That's how the compensation worked out. They lowered our quotas for that quarter down to like 28,000 or so. So your same 50,000 mm -hmm. is like, now I'm not making three, I'm making $6,500, $7,000, right? Yeah. My coworker, after three good months, went and bought a Tesla and an Audi in the same weekend, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm looking at him like, okay, that's fine. But you know, they change our commission, right? All the time. You, you bought these cars based on the assumption that you're going to be making this kind of money, right? Literally two weeks later, they changed our commission plan. No. Right? Literally. 
And now we're now from a goal of 50,000. Now our goal went up to 68,000. So basically the extra money they paid us that quarter, they're getting it back. Basically, if that makes any sense. Do, do, do oh you follow? my God. Yeah. Cause they upped and upped it. And I get it. So they got, yes. now you got to make up for, right? I get it. Now you got to okay. make up for it, but he bought the Tesla and the Audi. And Whew. so we did the math. Hey, everything costed him 2,300 a month, right? The insurance, mm. the payments, right? And I said, man, I told him, you don't need this car. You're already married. Like, like, uh, you don't need to get the chick. You don't need to get the chicks or anything, right? Like, you don't need this, right? But he did it anyways. But I, not that I'm glad he did it. It taught me something. So we did the math. After taxes, it takes about four thousand dollars a month to afford twenty four hundred a month. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So right. whenever I spend something. I don't think about my post-tax income. I think of my, what it took for me from a pre-tax standpoint yeah. to buy something. So we calculated that it was costing him 4000 a month to have the Tesla and Audi, even though the payments were like 2380 on mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And then I also remembered that they changed my commission in a blink of an eye. Somebody could push a button and it impacts my life, right? Yeah. Like, like I, didn't, I didn't, it just didn't sit well with me. Right. It didn't. So that was my like aha moment. Right. And even though I was working this corporate job, making one hundred thousand dollars, I still was in New York City and my family was in Los Angeles. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was still like it's enough. One hundred thousand is not bad. It was enough to pay your bills, live your life. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't enough for generational wealth. I also I also was putting my brother through private school at this time. Wow. Um, so as the oldest of four, I was putting my brother through private school because, you know, dad's not there. You know, mom got a, you know, had another child, with, you know, and just mm-hmm. he was getting lost in the mix, you know, and both of his older brothers moved out. So I had to get more eyes on him. So I put him through private school and I sacrificed having a car in New York City so that I could put him through private school. Right. That's amazing. But again, it was too hard financially right and the amount of sales calls i had to do the amount of people i like everything that i did it it, i couldn't sustain there was no way this is sustainable right and especially Mm -hmm. as i wanted to get married and do my you know have my own kids my own family so i started taking steps right to to invest in real estate and and seeing how my work relying on my employer was just not a safe route right and luckily yeah Luckily, it happened to someone else as opposed to happening to me. Uh, Warren Buffett said, had a book that said, uh, smart people learn from their mistakes. Wise mm-hmm. people learn from other people's mistakes. Yes. Right. So, so now that I've got a skill set, it's been, I spent about three years in New York City. I now could interview and get jobs anywhere. So I chose to yep. move, back, move back to Los Angeles. And I realized I need to increase my income. Right. So... I got a job that doubled my income, right? And I started awesome. thinking, I started thinking, doing sales, and I started thinking, okay, how do I get something going? How do I start setting things up? And I just started following, uh, you know, real estate on YouTube, um, Instagram, right? And just following people. And then I started going uh, to uh, meetups locally. I, yep. went to net- I went to networking events, seminars. There's a lot of free ones. So I was just getting in, getting into the mix there, right? So um, as my income is growing, my career is growing, I started uh, taking those steps to network. And another thing that I always did was I always kept my expenses low. Love so it. even, even, right. though, uh, even though I was making $100,000, doubling my income, I still had three roommates, right? So, so you know, um, <laughs> sharing bathroom. I also yeah. had like the ugliest car of my friends. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then I also had the cheapest phone. So I always had an Android cheap phone yeah. that cost $6 a month, right? If you finance it. And um, mm-hmm. everyone would always tell me for years, oh my gosh, you don't pop up green or, or, or you know, <laughs> if, you te- if you text someone, <laughs> right? If you text someone and you're uh... an Android user, it's like, ill. <laughs> you don't have an iPhone, right? So, so I got that a lot. This is my first iPhone. So the phone I, I was love texting it. you, it's my, literally my first iPhone. But the point is I doubled my income and kept saving by having mm-hmm. my expenses low. I didn't buy expensive cars. I always yep. bought cheap cars, um, especially while you're building. It gave me that flexibility yep. to try things. 
And then I got to, uh, I also, oh, books. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which everyone reads, right? And then I read um, Grant Cardone's book where he talked about multifamilies. And Mm -hmm. I loved his idea because he's always like 16 units is the minimum. And I was like, I want to do 16 units, but I have (laughs) (laughs) $18,000. Like, how do I do it? (laughs) How do do I do that, right? So then um, I got a book called How to Invest in Real Estate Out of State. And I started understanding, um, Mm -hmm. you know, how to, you know, it really came, the the most critical part was the property, selecting the property management company, right? They're your hands on, they're the hands and feet on the ground. Um, And then, yeah, that was, you know, that's where I, um, I got into contract on a property in Cleveland, Ohio. I still remember it, 8505 Jeffries Avenue. Mm -hmm. It was 80,000 for a duplex turnkey, but I had $18,000 on me and then like everything was going to cost like 15 K or so. So that would have left me $3,000 or so. And I backed out. I backed out. I was just too scared. I just was too scared. This is, yeah. 20, this is 2019. Ever since then, I check on that property at least once a month <laughs> <laughs> to see how it's doing. 8505 Jeffries Avenue. Now my focus was the 1% rule. Right. So if it's got it, eighty eighty thousand dollar home, mm-hmm. it's got a rent for at least eight hundred a month to to be in my buy box. Right. Um, each side of the duplex rented for six hundred each. So it was twelve hundred dollars a month for an eighty thousand dollar home. Right. That works. But again, now I didn't do it and I check it every year. Now the rents are eight hundred dollars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> On each side. And how much and is the home worth now? Uh, exactly, it's got to be worth more. It says it was worth only ninety five thousand from eighty thousand, okay. but that's still that's still you know, it's still, uh, still equity, right? It's still equity in in eighteen months, right? Um, that's fifteen thousand, right? Yep. That in eighteen months, right? And then not only that, each side on section eight now would rent for nine hundred each, right? Oh so, wow, so that's great. Mortgage payment on that spot was five fifteen. I went all the way to the end where they give you your mortgage, to, you know, and just mm-hmm. backed out. Right. Um, so on five fifteen a month, you could generate twelve hundred dollars. Right. That's so cool. So let, let me let me pause yeah. you right there. Right. So you went through this whole entire history. You had your why. You're trying to provide for your family. You took action. Right. You got educated. You started building out your team, and you got to your first deal. And this was in Cleveland. And it actually met this one percent rule, which for some folks that don't know what that rule is, it just basically means like you want your monthly rent to be at least one percent of your purchase price. Now, you backed out of that deal. Have now that you are reflecting back on it, and if you were to give advice to somebody else that's starting about it, right? Like, what would you have done differently? Would you have talked to somebody else and get some advice? Because I understand how scary it is signing your first deal. I tell people all yep. the time when I did my first deal, I was nauseous. I was getting ready to throw up that night when I signed the offer. I gave yeah. them a really low offering and they wouldn't accept it. Yeah. So what would you do differently? What do you think would have gotten you over the hump? Okay. I think what would have gotten me over the hump is to me, um, because I'm like a provider and help for my family, not having a lot of money and only mm-hmm. having like $3,000 to pay. I still got rent and food. I think having more money in the bank certainly would have made me pull the trigger. Um, also, I should have gotten connected with the property manager early and mm. quick because mm. once I talk to them and understand that they what they do for the property, you really don't need to be there. So I think it was just the hesitation on that. Mm. Um, but I think certainly not having enough money or, or just not having a ton left over. So I told myself, yeah. I'm going to get to another place financially and Love go it. on the offense. Right. So so. Um, now I believe, I believe everybody should focus on, not everybody, but whoever wants to take the advice, don't focus on making a hundred K in salary, mm-hmm. focus on getting a hundred thousand cash, and then you can go on the offense. That's kind Love of it. like the playbook, right? And once your mind starts thinking, how do I get a hundred thousand in cash? Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. brain starts thinking of other ways to get it done. Right. So, and that's when I ended up making getting airbnbs and section eight i got to like mm-hmm. 105,000 cash or so wow. and said okay let's do this let's do this now right so one um i think certainly having more savings would have helped and then two just talking to the property manager i yeah just talking to the property manager would have helped me out a ton and i can relate to that so much right i think you know i, I used to make over 100 grand as well in my ow2 job and 
I always try to make sure like I, I had at least six months of reserved for my personal expenses yep. and also for my real estate. Like, yeah, I need to cover the mortgage no matter what. Worst yep. scenario, the world goes to crap and everything stops. Right. Which yep. happened during COVID. That's why I'm trying to make sure I have six months of reserves for each property right now. I think everybody needs that's listening to this needs to figure out what that number is for you to feel yep. comfortable. Like, hey, how much time do I need to pivot if something really goes wrong? Right. Yep. For some people, they might say like, I'm really clever. I think I can come up with a strategy in three months. So maybe you could be okay with three yep. months strategy, right? But six months might be more suited for somebody else. So I love that your, your point of making sure that you have enough reserves. And on top of that, talking to other people. For me, I didn't talk to a property management company. I didn't mm -hmm. talk to my realtor at that point. But she was also a short-term rental investor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm underwriting this not this property. And you know, we're both doing bachelorette-themed Airbnbs. Yeah. So I asked her like, Hey, how much are you really making? And she actually sh sent a screenshot of her bookings to me. And I was like, wow, oh, wow. this just gave me a lot of confidence. Right. Yeah. Cause sometimes you try to underwrite, you guess the rent and how much you can make from Airbnb or from long-term rental. You don't really know. So that for me, I thought the most valuable thing was asking somebody else. And I yep. think for you asking a property manager, that would have been a huge, huge. Overcome. Yeah. Like, Cause I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't <laughs> see the process. I just, I guess didn't believe it or I couldn't see it at that time. You know, mm -hmm. now it's like, oh, let's do it, right? I'm I'm in a different yeah. place. But at that time, your first one, I think I did the uh, analysis paralysis thing, right? Oh you yeah, overanalyzing, overanalyze that you just don't do anything, right? But I think certainly I only had basically one month's reserves. I just mm. didn't feel comfortable, but yeah. I still look at that property at least once a month. <laughs> 8505 Jeffries Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio. Got it. Got it. So what did you buy next after that? Did you buy your okay. Airbnbs after that? Or did okay. you buy so, your Chardonnay yes. rental? Okay. So that's a great, great question. So um, go through all of that, blah, blah, blah. I then decided to do Airbnb rental arbitrage. Okay. All right. And that is the arbitrage model is where you basically lease it. You're not buying the property. You're leasing it from the mm -hmm. landlord and then releasing it on for short term mm -hmm. rentals. And so I, I, I started, um, first I looked in California in Los Angeles, cause that's where I'm yep. from. Obviously that's a whole, that's Makes a sense. no, that's a no, right. Be, from the Airbnb laws to the prices of mm -hmm. the homes, it just doesn't make sense. Yep. So then I started see, seeing a trend in red States right? Missouri, Atlanta, mm -hmm. Arizona, Texas, Iowa, right? Um, so I, I said, okay, I, it's legal to do it here. Now I have to find a landlord that is also yep. okay with doing it as well. Because even though it's legal in your state or county, it still has mm -hmm. to be allowed by your landlord, right? And, and, and mm -hmm. the laws. A lot of Airbnbs, now that I did Airbnb, I see them online and they're not necessarily all permitted or licensed, right? Um, you know, a lot of them, especially the ones that are in like, I see them in condos in San Diego, right? And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't rent any. In, yeah, in, oh, I know. In San Diego was one of my target markets because it's like LA, but just a little bit cheaper, right? So mm -hmm. um, I found tons of one unit studio in like nice places, but I just, the landlords wouldn't allow it. So got it went somewhere where it was legal. Then because I'm still working my full-time job, I didn't want to furnish it. So I looked for mm -hmm. furnished rentals already. Right. Not it. So that okay. I could just step in on a furnished rental, do my, put my little marketing spiel on Airbnb mm -hmm. and then, you know, go from there. So that's what I did. Um, yep. found furnished rentals and found a landlord that was okay with it mm -hmm. and, uh, furnished. So it was turnkey and then, uh, yep. and I started, right. It was just my, how, first how did you pick that market? How did you pick that market? Yeah, so uh, I, was it just you know it, it was honestly it was I, I honestly would have went anywhere. I know I should have, <laughs> I know I should have used analytics and things like mm -hmm. that, but I said this is not going to cost me a ton. Let me just try it. I did yeah. use I did use uh, is it Airbnb DNA? Um, Air DNA, yeah, that's oh, okay. what some people use too. Okay, yep. got it, got it. So I did use that. It didn't give me the numbers I necessarily wanted, um, mm -hmm. but I said, I said, you know what? I passed out on a property before, right? And, and now the property's killing it, right? And so me saying no, because I'm overanalyzing, is just not a good deal. Let me at least try this. Yeah. And so, um, and, it's, and it was low cost to start. So to do Airbnb arbitrage, it's just first and last month, right? So I think I, a couple places, one place that I got in Iowa was like 1300 a month. Mm. Um, and then, uh, so first and last month was 
$2,600 and it's already furnished. And then the other one was like, it was more luxury. So that one was like 2,300 a month. So okay, first, first and last month. So um, it basically cost me around 4,000 to get started with the Atlanta ones. And then like mm. 2,600 to get started with the Iowa ones. Um, Got it. And I just gave it a shot. I also didn't tell you this. When I was in New York, I had a three bedroom apartment and I Airbnb'd one of the rooms in there. So I already had it. Yeah, yeah. Just to like make my rent right at Airbnb. So um, I had some experience with Airbnb already. I knew that I could kill it and I was already a super host. So Mm -hmm. I just knew how to work the algorithm, you know, and and things like that. So that's why I said, let me just give this a a shot. Remember, I have $100,000 in the bank now, right? Yeah. Um, So it's like, let me just try this business model. It's cost only 4,000 to start per unit, right? So that was my, that was why I decided to do it. Now, every, okay, got it. Do you have any questions before I tell you about the experience? No, tell us a little about experience. Just tell us like in the beginning, how did how did it go, right? Because we hear about rental arbitrage a lot. And that's what a lot of people on Instagram and these yep. gurus kind of teach nowadays, right? Yep. It just being sold as like, hey, it's super easy to kind of get in, just make money, which, you know, it's not the case. You got to do no. work, right? Yes. So, so tell us a little bit about your experience with the first great. couple of so, ones. So I, I had the Amazon supplies over there, right? And then like it got delivered to the wrong place right now. Oh, no. now yeah, you know, just the, <laughs> what, what could go wrong goes wrong. On my first guest, mm-hmm. the, the automatic lock um, battery went out at Saturday at 2 a.m. <laughs> oh, my God. The best time. <laughs> On my first guest. And so <laughs> I, was, I was hoping my first review wasn't like negative. Right. So so. <laughs> Um, luckily, we got that resolved. Um, but um, basically, I had a property management company that I was paying twenty percent for, and so they wow, handled. Okay. They, yeah, they handled most of it. But again, they're charging twenty percent, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, even though I wasn't managing it, I was CC'd on all the notifications, like on the Airbnb app. You can have, mm-hmm. I think, four hosts, right? And yep. so they handled it, but I saw it all. Right. So I saw tenants, this blah, blah, blah. I saw what they were doing, how they handled the reservations and mm-hmm. everything. I got to see what they did, mm-hmm. but I wasn't cash flowing. There just wasn't enough skin on the bone. So I was around minus three or $400 a month on each property. For, on each part. So you had one in Iowa and was it two in Atlanta? So I ended up having four total, but it was two to start. And then I got the okay. other two within the next like three months. Got so it. by and the they time were they were negative all negative all negative and i'm like wow this is this is not what uh they talk about right on i know on, on tiktok or whatever so i'm like minus 300 minus 400 or so and mm-hmm. i realized you know what the, the biggest expense i have is property management mm-hmm. um i'm i'm paying 20 percent right of, of right. you know it's it's just if i minus the property management i could i could see that i would make money but who's going to manage it right mm-hmm. uh, so I decided, let me just try managing since I saw everything okay, they did. Okay. Yeah. I bought, I then got some automation software, hospitable.com. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that does all your, yeah, it does, does, does the auto stuff. What really bugged me is when people would ask stuff like, how do I lower the air? Or, you know, like, I'm, I love <laughs> Can I get an early check in. Yeah. yeah <laughs> at the last minute, at the last minute, right? Um, um, everything worked great when no one, messaged me or called me or you know (laughs) when everything was handled but i had i would say maybe eight out of ten needed something extra and maybe two Mm -hmm. out of ten i just would never hear from them and they had a great stay right those are my favorite i just didn't because you got to understand i'm dealing with my nine to five and people Mm -hmm. are checking in early also it's in atlanta and i'm in los angeles so it's three hours ahead so my phone is going off at four or five a.m sometimes Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. so basically removing property management, the amount of work I was doing, I was then making about three to $400 a month. Got it. Per unit. That's, but that's a lot of time, but exactly. But understand that. Yeah. That sounds nice. 1200, 1600 or so for the four, but the amount of time, the amount of sleep I lost, the amount of just worry I had, right? Like it'd be Friday night and like, I would be mm-hmm. scared to like go out, to the club. To the bar or <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> because because I've got 
a three-week person staying right for tomorrow and like I need to make sure it goes very well right so it was actually like impacting my life right and then the time I spent doing that you know I, I could make that money applying mm -hmm. myself more to my job right so yeah. so um so yeah I, I decided you know what the tough decision of you know what let me just I mm -hmm. figured it out. If I was to do Airbnb again, I learned that I want to do a single family home with like a pool mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in like an Arizona or like a Las Vegas or like, a, you know, Atlanta. Right. Right. Those are like the markets I would say I would want to do that in. Um, yep. And and I would want to buy the house so that my income so that the payment was less, because if I bought the condo that I did the Airbnb in. I would, mm -hmm. I, I'd probably been cash flowing around $1,500 or more because that's wow. how much less my payment would have been for that property, right? Mm -hmm. Had I bought it. So um, the numbers just work better when you buy it as opposed to arbitrage. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was my experience. So yes, I ended up becoming profitable, but it just wasn't worth my time. I, I needed to focus on passive yeah. cash, right? I didn't no. sign up to have another job. No, I love that. And I love that you're talking about it because people need to understand the reality of the situation, right? You you are signing up for another business. It's not like this is like get rich quick scheme, right? No. Sometimes people always think about like, hey, I should start day trading. I should start rental arbitrage. That's like, I've seen all these people make money so fast. You got to do work and you got to pick the right markets and you got to yep. go after the right client. So you and I also need to talk about Arizona because that's where I'm investing in right now. So oh, wow. let's, let's oh, talk wow. more about that after this conversation. And I can definitely share with you like what we what we do. And we have like two properties that, yeah. like you said, single family home with a pool and stuff like that. And I um, love the house you have. You're creating you're creating an experience. You got to create an experience as opposed to just having some like Motel 6 type of apartment condo that I like kind of that I did right like it was more of a budget friendly type of Airbnb you're yep. providing a luxury experience and mm -hmm. Arizona where the housing prices are up there but it's not LA right and then it's mm -hmm. allowed in Arizona right from a Correct. legal standpoint so Arizona would for sure be the market I Airbnb in um, or you know Texas as well but Texas's uh, property values are just it's basically LA and property taxes are oh, very, property, very expensive it, right now. It, exactly. Um, so Arizona would I, be my target market if I did this again. Yeah. But I mean, I, what I love most about your story is like how you talked about, I would be scared to go out. Right. Cause I, I literally know what you mean, man. I, I've had the neighbors call the police on my house before one time a year ago. This is like a month after I, yeah. I launched. Right. And Sometimes we don't talk about these stories, but what I had to do was implement a no music outdoors policy. And I was so scared, uh, man. I was like, what if people don't book my home anymore? Yeah. And guess what? When you have an elevated product, somehow we're yep. attracting the better clientele. And these are the people that they don't necessarily care about blasting the music outdoors. Yep. So that actually makes your life a lot easier. And because like, now <laughs> you have elevated your standards and you're still going to make money and have that peace of mind. It's, it's yep. a really beautiful thing that I kind of stumbled upon, but man, am I so glad I stumbled upon it. It's just like kind of figure it out, right? So it's just one of those things that you can't know everything when you start. <laughs> yeah, you can't. And and I think to your point, just um, the anxiety of, because Airbnb ranks you on how mm. much you respond, right? So to have your super host status, you have to respond within like an hour or less or something, yep, or whatever, correct. right? So, so I would have anxiety that, you know, they're three hours ahead and I'm sleeping at four or five. So even mm -hmm. if I, you know, sometimes when you go to bed at night, you wake up in the middle of the night you know, 4am, you'd use mm -hmm. the bathroom or whatever. For me, if I ever woke up in the middle of the night, I had to check my phone to see, right? And yeah. it was just, and then sometimes I'd get on my phone at 5am, it'd be a big problem. And now I just stay oh, awake. That's right. The, that's the worst. The, the battery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can't get into the unit. The battery is broken or um, yeah, somebody threw up yeah. something or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. they lost their ID at the club that they were at and now the security wasn't letting them in right because they had no id right so just any and, and the thing is if i was making 1600 a month cash flow on it per unit then that would have been worth it for me right but yeah okay you're doing this for 300 i just i had to get off of this yeah absolutely so all right i love it so you did you had your stand with rental arbitrage how did you get into the long-term rentals afterwards? Like what made you get into it and how did you get into it? Okay, perfect. Great, great question. So one is I was doing the Airbnb and I, while I had all four, I was started buying section eight. So this is awesome. my job, 
mm-hmm. Airbnb, and now I'm doing Section 8 at the same time, right? <laughs> this was me, 100000 in the bank. I need to go on the offense. I need to figure something out, right? So, so um, I started looking at property values and the 1% rule again. I realized my story is I need passive cash. When mm-hmm. I speak to bigger investors and people that have done, you know, 80 unit properties and things like that, cash flow is not their biggest thing. They're looking at tax, depreciation, uh, yeah. uh, uh, appreciation, right? Cash flow is not their target, I've noticed at the higher levels. Um, but for me, I, I calculated my expenses. If I could get to about 6,500 a month in passive cash flow, I could live off of that while I grew my business. Right. So for me, it's how do I make the most cash? So now with COVID, it, this is early 2022 now. Right. Got we're it. talking COVID. We're talking about the rental prices. Right. The rental prices. Now you're not getting one percent anymore on the houses. It's it's one hundred thousand dollar home that rents for nine hundred now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, oh, gosh, there's no more eighty thousand dollar duplexes. Right, that rent for twelve. <laughs> Still mad about that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I then I then found out that oh my gosh, well the Section Eight. So the way I looked at it is a hundred thousand dollar home cost me around six thirty. The mortgage payment was six thirty six, mm-hmm. and at market rate that was nine hundred dollars market rate. Now, I remind you, I still have to pay property management, mm-hmm. so minus eighty five dollars. So. My mortgage is 636. Property management is 85. That's 720 ish or so. Let's call it 720. Yeah. Um, the market rate's $900. I was like, to spend 20,000 and make 180 a month, I, that, that's too small for me. That's barely my cell phone bill. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so that's I was right. like, how can I get more rent? Right. It like, you know, um, I'll spend 20,000 if I got maybe 500 a month. Right. Like that, that made more sense because annualized yep. that's $6,000 and I put in 20,000. So that means that's a 33% return or so. Right. So I looked and f- I found this guy on TikTok talking about section eight and he had some course and I bought it, <laughs> you know, um, and, and realized, oh my gosh, so this hundred thousand dollar home can net me 1200 a month. Now, now that it's above 1% and that works. Then I was cons- I was scared about renting to Section Eight tenants because I've only mm-hmm. heard horror stories, right? Mm-hmm. So Correct. so um, I realized after doing the course and doing the experience that Section Eight renters are actually nicer than than normal tenants, and the the reason the reason is the Section Eight program pays almost eighty percent ninety percent of their rent. Section 8 is under a different eviction guideline than the state's mm-hmm. guidelines. So if you need to evict, you can evict um, on a, it's like a different process, basically. So I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have to care about the state's laws, right? And if the tenant got evicted from Section 8, it takes them a year or two to get back on that program. So you oh, don't yeah. think they would be incentivized, right? They're paying $100 a month for a nice home, turnkey, mm-hmm. three-bedroom why would they mess that up? Right. So, so, and that was the case. Um, I just stayed away. I do thorough tenant screening and I yep. thought, I thought getting good tenants was going to be uh, the hardest part of it. I was scared of getting this home to do section eight because you know, there's not yeah. enough section eight renters. Oh gosh. My phone, <laughs> as soon as I post a property, I get 30 applications in the first day. Like that's actually the easiest part of it. And Love then it. I, and then I just have a thorough tenant screen. I do no felonies, no convi- no, you know, no court cases. Um, mm-hmm. And then I look at, um, I look, I don't look at credit and income as much, even though you mm-hmm. should, but again, you, you can create your own, you know, strategy. Tenant screening. Yep. The reason that I, do, I don't look at uh, income as, as th- that much is because the, you know, they're paying, hundred dollars a month right um, yeah. um you, you know for their whole rent and even section eight even pays for the utilities as well Got so it. they give them a portion for the housing and then a portion mm-hmm. for uh the utilities as well so to me the most important thing was convictions no felonies um and then i also looked at if they moved a lot so mm. somebody that's moving a lot um is a red flag and then i would ask them why they moved so, for example, I had someone that said, oh, oh, I was living here. Then I moved in with my boyfriend. I was then a victim of 
I was a victim of domestic abuse. So then I moved out. Mm. Right. And when we moved out, I just got this place really quick because I needed somewhere. And now me and my kids are looking for something. And I was like, okay, that, 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 that fits, that fits. And then also it tugs at my heartstrings, right? Like, you know, a woman that's a victim of domestic abuse. I have a tendency to want to overhelp or like believe I can fix everything or, you know, you know, so um, I had to learn actually to not fall for every sob story. Um, And I I, want to be respectful, but I've been, I don't call them sob stories, but all these people reach out to you. And especially if you don't like approve them, you only have one house and I'm getting 30 or 40 applications, right? I've got to pick one. And, you know, people tell me some terrible things and it, and it really like impacts me. So for example, someone was like, oh, I just got out of the hospital. Me and my kids are homeless. And I, I uh, got out of the hospital because I got my leg, amput- my leg amputated. Can you please give us this house? Right. And like, it, you know, and it's not that I'm, you know, I obviously can't make a decision based on personal preferences, but I just look right. at the, you know, the felonies, the convictions, and I just follow mm-hmm. that. But yep. seeing how many people need housing, getting a tenant is the easiest part of this whole thing. And I, and I love that you're pointing that out because that is the number one fear, right? When you set yeah. up property, like, what if it doesn't get rented? So yeah. <laughs> when, when you posted and listed your property for rent, right? Did you say like, hey, I will accept voucher holders or you just put it up and people just applied? How, how did that process work? It's a great question. So you have to find out your city, your county, what do they mm-hmm. use? Some use a certain system. So luckily St. Louis's, uh, I, where I got my properties are in St. Louis. They use mm-hmm. a website called affordablehousing.com. And it's typically yep. the, the leading section eight platform. Um, you know, normally the big metropolitans all use that, but depending on where you're at, you got to find out what they use. So once I, I love having everything online automated, um, the, when they respond, when they DM me on there, I have a, an auto response to send them that to the tenant screening, right. To submit their application and put the, you know, mm-hmm. um, an auto response. So yeah, luckily I love them. I, that's the easiest part is marketing the property. I thought like when I did the section eight course, um, I guess the information is a little bit older, but like you have some people are putting their properties on Facebook marketplace and all that. And to me, because I already worked this job and I had Airbnb going the idea of like, having to do all this work to get another tenant was just really scary, but luckily I did it. And something that worked out well was posting on that website. Cause it does it all for you essentially. Love it. That's a great, great little tip for everyone to kind of follow. I use affordablehousing.com to actually estimate like the, and use a market rate estimator actually to determine like whether or not, Hey, this might be the ceiling of what the government will pay, but yeah. you also have to check what the market rate looks like. Cause yeah. the, the, the Section 8 program isn't going to be responsible for overinflating rent prices. They don't want to be having that reputation, right? Yep. So yep. I love it. So let's talk about you listed it. How about your tenant screening process? You talked about felonies, convictions, um, a little bit of credit, a little bit of income. But what else do you do? Do you ask them specific questions about their moving history? Obviously, there are a lot of housing laws, right, that you got to be yep. really, really careful about so it's not discriminatory. Yep. Right, but what right. else do you do? Because I've heard of people saying like, hey, I'm going to go to their house right now and oh. see what the condition of their house is. Oh, gosh. Right before- I, we do that as well. Yes. You we do, do that, right? I do, I do that oh, well. that is so yes. good. Okay. I, I, yeah. Yeah. So you definitely want to check the the yes so i send my property management company got it you got to vet them and i have them do a video walk a quick one minute iphone video right okay of of what what's going on so yes you definitely want to see their place their current place i forgot that is one of them as part of the tenant screening um Mm -hmm. i also get them approved i don't send everybody to see the house right i i they need to be qualified tenant already so Mm -hmm. I get them to run, you know, their, their credit history and all that and, and do the whole application before we even see the house. A lot of people just want to see the house and there's just no way with I, I, over a week I'm getting a hundred. I mean, I'm not going to let every, all hundred, you know, there's just no way. So I let yeah. the qualified tenants move forward. Um, yeah. And, and then, you can't send your property management company to every, every yeah, it, house, it, right? They're going to hate you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But luckily that property management company is a one-stop shop. So they do that for me. Um, oh, when I was, awesome. I forgot to mention, uh, there's a key things that I look for when I select a property management company because of my experience with Airbnb. Yep. So a couple things I look for is 
do they utilize software technology, right, for mm -hmm. their management? Because there actually are some mom and pop property management companies online that are still using paper, right? So I want uh, it, it's, it's the most frustrating thing because I work in technology, right? So when I, <laughs> <laughs> if you're not utilizing technology, I get bothered. But um, um, so that's number one. Number two is you got to ask if they handle evictions. Not every property mm -hmm. management company handles evictions. And Great then- point. The other, uh, the last one is, do they uh, have contacts with, do they, are they going to, are they, do they, are they familiar with section eight? Most property management companies are not. Mm -hmm. Number, uh, number two is, uh, and then the fourth one is, are they a one-stop shop for all your like real estate needs? So for example, if the plumbing goes out, are they going to get the plumber out? If the Got roof it. has an issue, are they going to send a roofer? You know, I don't have the time to spend to find the roofer the plumber the sewer guy the i don't know the tree is overgrown and you know like like that's what you, i hope they have those contacts right um um so and and if they have all that then i i, I would consider them a, a good property management company to use or start with yeah and i think that's so important for you to kind of like these are such basic questions <laughs> yeah yeah right and right. if they don't have responses to that that's a red flag right yes, um, yes. but i do like that you have that criteria of like, do they have experience with section eight? Because that is very yep. important because they yep. have to understand like there are inspections every year that happens with the housing yes. department that yes. you need them to stay on top of, right? Yes. Um, and I love your point about not looking for your own Rolodex of contractors because that takes a lot of time. You gotta get three oh, bids and everything. It, it's yeah. not easy. I'm not doing <laughs> that. The, remember, I also have a full-time job, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm also managing the Airbnbs at this time as well. So, oh so my God. yeah, I, the, the idea of trying to have to do one more thing, I, I just, I can't do it. And so, um, so that's the process there. And then when it comes to the tenant, so I check obviously credit, um, felony, you know, look for felonies and, um, and misdemeanors, what they were for. Right. Sometimes it was mm -hmm. something a long time ago and, you know, um, yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'll let them, you know, I like their credit profile or their you know, their income profile. It's like, okay, let's, mm -hmm. you know, if, if it's not perfect, yeah. I've, my first one was perfect. Somebody with 700 credit score and uh, <laughs> they're like 700 credit score. And then they made three times the rent. Right. Wow. So, so if, if, if the rent is 1200, um, they, they were making 3,600. Right. So, so the first one I did to the T right. And then uh, I've been getting a little bit looser after that, just because of speed. Um, mm -hmm. getting, getting mm -hmm. someone really fast. And then I'm really, I'm learning, you know, you get, it's your business. So you get to play with, you know, mod different models. So yeah, uh, maybe, maybe I will ask one more question just so people have some expectations. Right. So let's say you have like 50 or a hundred applicants, right? How many of them do you actually qualify? And then how many of them do you actually like go visit the homes of in like, general, like rough range? Yeah. Typically, um, maybe two at the most. Okay. in terms of visiting um it's That's really just it's really just the one i select they section eight is typically and i don't again i want to be respectful but people on section eight are like desperate and need a home right mm -hmm. um and they have a limited time frame they have like a three or four month window to get a home right otherwise they go back into the voucher system and it starts all over and they got to get back on blah, blah blah so they need a home so if they select a home they pretty much are going to take it also, I learned some, and this is my value is all the homes I provide are have dishwashers and mm. remodeled. And, you know, there's not these janking, janky homes. It's, it's pretty much a turnkey home. So with like a nice backyard. So this is mm. what the section eight tenant is like going for. It's like, this is like their mansion almost like in a way, right? Like, yeah. like it's a jackpot. Yeah. Yeah. So jackpot. It's a jackpot. So every tenant has gone to see it has said yes only i only had one person say no that they were like i just don't like this house um and then the, the second person liked it so on mm. uh, my three properties two were just the first tenant and then the other one was the second and it's because i, I do a whole vetting process and typically if the tenant does the whole process lets you come see their house they're pretty committed to moving forward with you right um i think mm -hmm. i think um one of the houses that I bought didn't have a, a central air. Um, we had heaters in there. We had like the wall mm -hmm. heaters. They it just didn't have mm -hmm. central air. So they, 
I didn't know that even, I didn't even know that, when I, when I that. <laughs> but um, they didn't want that. Um, and so, but I had to add the heating to pass the section eight inspection. So got it. Got it. Oh, that oh, makes perfect sense. Inspec- oh, the inspection. We didn't talk about passing the inspection. Yeah. Let's talk about oh, it. Oh gosh. So I've created, so I actually was at the first section eight inspection with the inspector. I flew to St. Louis and videoed it. You know, Got it. While I was there. Let's go. And from there, I was able to see what they look for there. So they look for working fridge, working mm-hmm. stove. Um, every door in the house, inside and outside, needs to lock. So physically needs to lock. Every window needs to work, right? No cracked windows, you mm-hmm. know. Um, every internal and external plug has to have current. It has to work. So every plug has to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, every bathroom has to have either a window or a mm-hmm. ceiling fan vent or so. Got it. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Section 8 not really looking at quality or like luxury and granite countertops. They're not really looking for that at all. That's why so mm-hmm. many like janky homes are available with Section 8. You just have to pass those, those, those qualifications. I'm, I just happen to be providing a nice home because I like those homes, right? right? Yeah, and I'm thinking more long term. But um, that's why I haven't had any problems with tenant screening because I don't have, you know, my homes are very nice, right? Yeah, uh, and just for, for the listeners to be understanding here, right? There is a inspection that needs to happen before you set it up. And then there's also going to be an annual inspection for the inspector to kind of come back on, make sure it's still in a great living condition to also prevent like people from being taken advantage by like by slumlords, right? Correct, so, correct, correct. Uh, Andre, so by the time, from the time you started and bought the property, and closed on it. How long did it take you to get a tenant in there and then start oh, cash flowing from inspection? Gosh, gosh. Okay, so that's that's a great question. That's a great question. So, my first one took five months. <laughs> five months. Why? Is yeah, that a yeah. long time? What do you okay, think? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it is a long time. I now have the process down to as quick as sixty days. Love it. I think average is ninety days. Mm, um, okay. So um, 60 days if you buy just a turnkey rent-ready home. Um, 90 days if you have, you know, some sort of, you know, thing you got to fix. Um, um, and then my first one took a long time because it is quite a bit of paperwork you have to submit to the city back and forth. Mm-hmm. I, like I didn't have a fax at home, so I'd have to go to my apartment complex, you know, the, the, the <laughs> lobby and ask them to fax things so many times. So basically oh, a fax machine. Yeah, 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 yeah you have to fax things. You can't just email it, right? You got to deal with the county's bureaucracy, right? And the county, um, mm-hmm. they're just like older with technology, right? You have to fax things in. Right. So yeah. um, so basically just it was my own delay and just doing the process the first time. It took me like five months. The second one took. Three and a half months. Got it. Got the it. third one took 60 days. However, mm. they didn't move in uh, quite yet because I had uh, um, I had to fix something. I had to, the, the Section 8 inspection came out mm-hmm. and the Section 8 inspection is the last thing in the whole process. So you do the screening and all that. So all that I have, I did it in like 48 days. And then the inspection was on the 60th day, right? It's like how it like worked out, but I had to do repairs and the the flooring. I bought a house uh, that was way undervalued because it needed work. And I Mm -hmm. thought, and again, I was testing to see how bad of a home I could buy that would <laughs> that would still pass right like I, I don't want to say bad I just you know um, I basically bought a three bedroom home for a hundred thousand mm-hmm. and Section Eight pays you off of the bedroom counts yeah correct so then I bought a four bedroom home for eighty eight thousand right oh. so 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 it's like less money and it's more rent right okay. but it did need some work so it took me a longer time on there but at least i got through the process very quickly and i could see that this would take around 60 days now as like as quick as possible typically around 90 days would be the timeline got it and i think for people listening it's like make sure you have maybe five months of reserves oh, yeah. to make your payments because you never know how long this process might take right you yep. never know you you fail the first inspection, and for some reason, the inspector missed something during the first inspection. Oh, you get yeah. a second inspection. You never yep. know, yep, right? Yep. I, yep. I um. So on my first two properties, 
um, my first one, I passed the first time. Second one, I failed the first one. I failed it because I didn't have air conditioning or heating units ah, in there. So mm -hmm. we added the heating units, then they came back past me. And then the third mm -hmm. one, because it needed more work, like I got called out. And then I also got a tough inspector that like, for example, Ooh. the microwave didn't have uh, the numbers on it. You know how it was like 400, 425, oh. 450. Basically it was like so used that it wore away. I the I was called out for that. Basically, I need a new knob wow. on the mic. Okay. I'm like, oh gosh, this is this is gonna take forever. But <laughs> we put a new knob on there, right? We put a new knob. So, but then you had to get a reschedule, right? So that's what takes the most time. Had to reschedule exactly. Then he got COVID, right? So, so um, <laughs> oh, are you freezing? Oh, hold on. I just froze a little bit. I'm sorry. I can still hear you. There we go. You can still hear me? Okay, perfect. But yeah, so then he got COVID, right? Then uh, the property management accidentally scheduled the wrong prop. So they weren't there when they showed up. So we had, it just, what could go wrong will go wrong, right? And you just got to mm -hmm. be like ready and, and ready to tackle it all. Now, yeah. So, so that's. So tell that's me. So now that's all up and running. What, how, what are you making on these properties? How much are you cash okay. flowing? What can people kind okay. of expect to make so, on these properties? So, so for what, so I'll give you an example. So my uh, mortgage payments is right. So the mm -hmm. home I bought for 99,000, the first one, mm -hmm. the mortgage payment is 636 and mm -hmm. it's generating 1107 in rent. Right. Wow, that's so, awesome. Yeah. The next property I bought, mortgage payment i bought it for fifty thousand. it's it's uh it's the mortgage payment is 308 and it's generating 825 that's awesome and then my last one i bought for eighty-eight thousand, but because of interest rates it's actually more than you know it's 646 uh, it's six, instead of 636 on the first one for a hundred thousand this one's 647 i'm sorry 647 per month um mm -hmm. And but it's four bedrooms and that one generates thirteen thirty. Wow, that's that's a good deal though. So so basically, like um, in the four to five hundred range is like what I'm averaging. It comes out to I think fifteen sixty in terms of cash flow, and I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of work that went into it, right? And I'm basically a quarter of the way to getting to my six thousand or sixty five hundred a month passive cash flow where I could like leave and you know focus on this full time. So, yeah. and I'm trying to even get higher returns by looking at multifamily. And that's when I got introduced mm -hmm. to you in the sub two uh, uh, membership, right? Just trying got to get it. my first multifamily but, or just continue doing these, these section eight. So. No, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm congratulations on like your journey, man. Like you yeah. have learned so much and you have finally figured it out. And I think, I hope people really listen to your story are inspired. Like, Hey, you don't need to know everything. You yep. have just learn from Andre's story that you yeah. can just get started, learn something. It doesn't matter when that you're successful in the beginning. Like all the successful people I've known, yep. they have either failed at some point and have learned from it and they continue yep. moving forward. And I think now that I had this conversation with you, Andre, it's like I would feel way more comfortable investing with you because yep. I, I'd rather work with someone that has gone through issues and, <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, like the rainbow and unicorn story, like you got to work with people that have grit and I don't, I don't, you yep. can't teach grit in school. And right, I think that's right. what I see in you, Andre, where uh, you that. continue to persevere no matter how hard it is. Like someone could have said, Hey, I'm losing $1,200 on Airbnb archers. Like, you know what? Real estate is not for me. You didn't stop there, man. Right. I think that just speaks a lot to your character and, Man, your family must be so proud of you. Like putting your brother through private school, that's no easy feat, man. And college. Um, and I put him through college. I know. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. I, yeah, yeah. Put him through college as well. While I, I'm putting him through college while I have three roommates, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with a cheap Android phone, right? Right. So, so yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate that, Kent. I appreciate that. No, I, I, Andre, one more question for you. I always like to ask a mindset related question, right? Um, you have shown that you have persevered and just have a tremendous amount of grit with your personality what would you advise someone that's new that's starting to get in, involved in real estate like what should they work on first gosh um man i'm such an analytical person right looking at mm -hmm. numbers on spreadsheets for work and stuff for me what helped me more than anything was just doing the work behind the scenes and just getting mm -hmm. all the knowledge 
I, I, I actually spent around 10,000 um, mm -hmm. on just knowledge, like courses and things mm -hmm. like that. And I'm not saying everybody do that, but doing, going to the real estate meetups and seeing how somebody bird a property and mm -hmm. like refinanced and got them. I didn't even know what that stuff is. Right. My, no one's yeah. ever refinanced yeah. in my family on either side. Right. So like, I don't know what that is. Right. And so going to the real estate meetups and then doing the work and then doing mm -hmm. sample deals. I'm always looking on my phone at properties every day. I would say I probably looked at maybe 5,000 properties mm -hmm. before I ever bought the first one, right? In terms of just being on Zillow, running numbers, right? So mm -hmm. doing that practice gave me the confidence to go ahead and pull the trigger, right? Um, um, so that's what I would recommend is like just getting immersed and getting obsessed mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. learning about cap rates and NOI and, you know, estimating the rent and, you know, just all that stuff that helped me. I don't know that if I would have just listened to someone, I would have just done it. I know though, that me reading a book and doing all this, then mm -hmm. that helped gave me the confidence to make that first, to pull that trigger. And I still was scared, right? I backed out of a deal that was a, a home run. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I still look at that property every day or, you know, every month. So, um, but yeah, that would be my, you know, I guess my help, my, my advice. Dude, I love that. And one of the, like, listening to your advice, one of the practices I've started implementing is like, hey, I now track how many deals I'm analyzing every day, not just window ah. shopping, but how many times I'm analyzing ah. so that I can go back to myself and like, next time I think I see a deal, to get over this analysis paralysis phase like you, that you and I both yep. face. It's like, I had to tell myself, hey, I looked at 500 short-term rentals now. I know what I'm doing, right? Like, like Are you right? You got to tell it, yourself. Yeah, it's once you, I think confidence comes from action, right? Once you're doing mm -hmm. the work, right? Um, you, you know, I, I look at it too, like, I didn't want to believe like, oh, I could be a CEO or something like that, right? But it's like, hey, I'm a CEO of my business. Yes, it's only mm -hmm. doing you know, 1500 a month in passive cash flow, but I'm still a CEO, right? Like, like, yeah. believe it, I still believe it, right? Um, um, no matter how small it is. So yeah, I think doing the work and just talking about it, um, going to real estate meetups, seeing other people do it, getting on it, just immersing myself in the content gave me, mm -hmm. a, at some point, my brain said, go ahead, go for it, you know? So, and I, yeah. again, again, having reserves, right, did help me out when I first made my moves, right? Um, but yeah. So, oh, again, I increased my income this whole time, right? Which gave me the freedom to go ahead and mm. throw some money around and figure it out. So. No, man. I mean, you, you have such a beautiful story, man. And I'm so glad you came onto this because, you know, our goal of this podcast is people tell me how hard affordable housing is, right? They, <laughs> they always say like, it's impossible. You yeah. can't make money on it. Or there's some kind of limiting mindset. So for us, what we're trying to do here is every conversation that I have with someone like you, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Even yep. if this problem doesn't get solved in like my lifetime, I know that I have yep. collected more pieces for the puzzle that I can pass it on to the next generation. And I just want to thank you for, you know, being a section eight investor and a landlord because I came from section eight, man. And I know what a stable home does for a kid giving, yep. giving us a chance at a stable yep. life. Um, the story I always tell is my, my parents grew up in Chinatown. We had nine people to a two bedroom apartment and when oh, we turn wow. our lights, you can hear the cockroaches flutter away and the oh, rats flutter away. Oh, wow. Wow. So when we got the home. My mom was in tears, man. Like I told you, it is like the jackpot. And they have stayed in that home for over 30 years now, right? So wow. I, now the big advantage to, to being a landlord is like vacancies actually tends to be, not always, but tends to be a lot lower. So you can actually make money on this. It's, it's a profitable business model. And I just hope people continue to invest in this asset class because it can yep. be a really, really great investment as long as you're doing the right things that you talked about with screening the tenants, making sure you're doing everything right, having a good good team on the ground. So Andre, thank you so much again. If people want to reach out to you and you know help you with your business, how did they contact you and what are you looking for in terms of help right now? Yeah, that's 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 great. I'm um, I'm actually looking at um, multifamilies now, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm I have a couple business plans on some properties. I, I am looking for like you know help with private money lending and and, and okay. things like that. Um, so that would be very helpful. Um, my um, you know I, right now you can find me on 
Facebook because of uh, the sub two membership, uh, Andre Calloway Cazares, right? I don't know okay. if you can put that on there. I will be on Instagram soon. I'm not because I'm still, you know, in my uh, play. I'm in the playoffs of my life right now. And it's about I time it. to lock in, right? So I, um, that's the analogy I use. But yeah, you can find me on Facebook and definitely reach out. I'm looking, I'm open to partnering, things like that. And, you know, mm -hmm. just to you know, recap, like what you said about this asset class, I like this asset class because I'm getting the same returns as a big, mm -hmm. as a big investor, right? However, it's easier access for us at this price point, right? They're not looking at this price point. I can't get this return on an $80,000 home or you would think, but, mm -hmm. but you can, right? Also, last thing that I, I want to leave this is growing up, definitely my fam both my families on both sides, you know, welfare, mm -hmm. WIC, right? Uh, government housing. Um, I remember when uh, now it's a debit card, but like food stamps, it was actually like mm -hmm. a packet of like, you know, that we would use. Right. And for me, the county always seemed like they always had or the city or the system always had its foot on my family's neck in a way. Right. And so my when I got that first check from the government, just it did something to me psychologically. Like, like, wow, the government is paying me, right? Like, for my, I, I don't know. It just, I, I know nobody thinks about it that way. But to me, it was like, like I won finally, as opposed to they were winning all those years when I, you know, we were on WIC and, and stuff. So psychologically, the fact that government is paying me for my property, I don't know. I just love it. I just love it. So, yeah. and I mean, we pay, we pay taxes, right? right so. Right. It's kind of like, hey, it's about time we get something back. Um, exactly. Oh, Andre, this has been an amazing conversation, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad you came on. I mean, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, yeah. man. I, I'm so happy I got to meet you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And I'll be sure to leave your contact uh, name in all the show notes. And all right. Thank you. I awesome. appreciate the time, you, Andre. Kate. Appreciate it. Talk soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye.